if you're listening to this right now, it's because you're a fan of best hour of their day and probably me, but not so much Fern. That tends to be the norm. But if you are listening, we just want to ask you for one favor. Please support us on Patreon. Patreon is where we put some bonus episodes up. It's really the only thing we ask for. We've been doing this podcast for two years now, and we do it because we have a love for fitness. We have a love for helping others, a passion for developing other people and helping them become the best possible coach that they can be. And and we do it because we love it. We don't ask for anything, but we are asking that you support us on Patreon. It's $6 for the price of your fancy frappuccino with hazelnut syrup or whatever it is you get over at Starbucks. You can support the show. And as we get more and more supporters on Patreon, by the way, it's patreon.com forward slash best hour of their day. We're going to be adding even more. Right now, it's a free bonus episode where we answer all of your questions, but we plan on putting so much more out there, exclusive and early content, access to things that you know everybody else doesn't get. So once again, we don't ask for much. So if you love the show, if we're helping you, chances are if you listen to this show and you're a coach or a box owner, we've helped you make way more than $6. And not only that, we've helped just make your life better, whether we entertain you or whether you've implemented many of the awesome things we talk about here on the show, check it out. If you don't, you know what? You can keep listening to the show. You can keep tuning in on a regular basis. Yeah, we put three episodes out every week. You don't have to support us on Patreon. We still want you to listen, but if you can, we appreciate it. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. Greet uh, Jason Ackerman to the virtual big box here in Europe. And um, yeah, Jason, you are... Jason. Uh, Jason. Say Jason. Jason. Yeah. The finish. <laughs> in in my German class, my name was Boris. <laughs> Boris, yeah. So Boris, um, before we kick this one off, uh, I like to put things into context. So I wanted to know, which character are you in Seinfeld? Oh, George. <laughs> okay, good. George, um, I don't really, I don't really like people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand. This time is rough for you guys in Germany and Switzerland and all of the countries that are on here, but I enjoy not leaving my house. But yeah. <laughs> I, I love the only time I like people is at the gym. When I'm at the gym, I want to be surrounded by people. As soon as I leave the gym, I don't like going out to places. I don't like talking to people. So I don't. Hmm. So George. So so um, Boris George. Jason, you are uh, originally from uh, outside of New York, uh, am I correct? Inside yeah. of New York State, but outside of New York City, yes. Okay, so uh, we're in the, in the right side of the country. And uh, yeah, tell us a bit about your background, because uh, you, you, you have been in the fitness industry quite long. And then, uh, yeah, t tell us kind of your, the red line, Jason. Well... I didn't intend to be in the fitness industry this long. My parents are very disappointed in me for not becoming, you know, a doctor or something professional. And I fully intended on doing that. And then my senior year of high school, we had the opportunity to intern. You can leave school and intern somewhere. And I started at a physical therapy place and I hated it. You know, I was folding towels and cleaning wax, like that type of stuff, and dealing with old people and injured people. I was like, this is not what I want to do. And I remember 
having a tough discussion, having to leave that place. And I left and I was able to find an internship at the gym. And I was like, this is great. They're not making me do anything. I get to work out all day. I was literally not going to school and getting to train people. I thought this is cool. And then, you know, 25 years later, I'm still doing it. So it was one of those things where I just fell in love with it, had a passion for it. And always in the back of my mind, at least for the first 10 or 15 years, it was like, okay, one day I have to stop this. I'll have to get a real job. I'll have to figure that out. I continued. I went to college. I got a master's degree, always with the anticipation that I'd get a real job one day and never did. Well, uh, I, I think you're you're uh, a bit too humble here. So you 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 also you created you were working in a fitness studio. You also created a yoga studio, if I'm not miscorrect. And uh, then suddenly you have created three boxes. You created, you know, online services, and uh, you've written a book called Best Hour of the Day. And have a I don't know how many million episodes of of your podcast are out there, but seven million. Yeah, and you you been um, in this CrossFit uh, network for you know the last fourteen fifteen years now, and um, uh, yeah, CrossFit level four coach uh, seminar staff. You've seen a lot of bad squats in your life a lot of good ones and uh, mostly bad mostly bad <laughs> and uh, most of those things we want to kind of address today and uh, so what we're going to do uh, we're going to divide this kind of um let's say podium discussion seminar uh into uh, two brackets it's a coach's track and we have the, like a box owner's track because you have a lot of experience of course in how to coach, how to become a better coach. You coach other coaches to become better. You coach other box owners to be get better at their business and better leaders and everything. So uh, I think uh, it makes sense just for now the audience to understand that this is kind of where where we're at. And at the end, we will have like open Q and A's. So people uh, bomb Jason with questions uh, because he he ha usually has an answer on everything. So I don't. I'll make one up. <laughs> exactly. So um, the first part I wanted to talk about was, uh, and this is the coach's track. Then, so um, something I know you emphasize a lot when it comes to coaches and when they start, and even if they're experienced, and you kind of like to dig down into the first part of, let's say, r uh, running a class which is the whiteboard and the whiteboard brief. So um, maybe you can take us through that and we can go into what are, you know, what is a good whiteboard brief and uh, what are like the common mistakes that you see there? Sure, happy to do that. You want a real whiteboard brief? Is that what you're asking for? Uh, we we can, I mean, we can make one up. Yeah, sure. What's the workout? <laughs> uh, well, today we are doing Isabel. Okay. And before that, we have some, you know, skills and drills and, and, uh, you know, a small warm up at the, at the beginning. So, um, All right. how, how, how would a good coach do that? And what's the common like mistakes we see? Well, guten tag, the gates. Right, we introduce ourselves to the class, and then any injuries, limitations going on? Now everybody's feeling great. Everybody's ready for the uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time class. And I would, you know, talk about Isabel. Keep it short and simple. Hey, this is Isabel. It's a classic CrossFit workout. It's meant to be fast. It's meant to be hard. It's 30 snatches. So what I want you guys to think about is picking a weight that you can probably do 10 unbroken snatches at. Now, three, two, one, go. Shice happens, right? It's a, uh, we, we don't know what's gonna happen. And if you have to break it up at seven, eight, that's fine. But the point is it should be a weight that if I told you to, you can go 10 unbroken. And I want everybody picking a weight that has them done in under six minutes. Now, 
We're going to go through some warm-ups. We're going to make you feel good before then. You'll have a better understanding of what that weight should be. Ready for this? Right? That was maybe a minute. I don't know. But it hopefully got the point across to a lot of people of where that workout should be. And I think the most important thing is the stimulus. So part of that is understanding what the workout is. Obviously, I've heard of Isabel and done it a few times. And I know what we should be shooting for. Then giving your athletes a reference point there. Hey, 10 unbroken. All of you kind of think about, okay, what's that weight for me? You know, maybe it's 135, 95, maybe it's lighter. And it at least gets you in, the, in that frame of mind to start thinking about it. I think when things go wrong, and obviously I would have talked through a warm up and maybe some other things that we would have been doing. But when things go wrong, it's typically just too much information talking, talking too much. Yeah. Um, Is there a question? Somebody's no. not, not muted. So I think a lot of times when the whiteboard brief goes wrong, it's a coach trying to make sure everybody knows how smart they are. You know, there's an expression, at least here in the States, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have heard it, but you know, if, if you really understand something, you should be able to teach it to a five-year-old. That's what you should be thinking about. You guys watch The Office? Do you guys have the office, the American version? We we have, uh, I think we have had the British, the American, and then we have the German version. This there's a German office. I gotta watch that. I love the Stromberg, office. Bag, yeah. But Michael Scott, you know, the boss, or you know, Ricky Gervais in the British one. There's a there's a scene in one of them where they're trying to understand numbers, and he goes, uh, "Pretend like you're teaching it to a to an eight year old," and the guy starts to teach it again. He goes, "Wait, wait, wait! Pretend like you're teaching it to a five year old." And that's what you want to do. It should be that simple. Most of your members don't know and the other don't care. They just are there to have a good workout. Give them a good frame of mind. Give them a good reference. And then as you're warming up, that's when you can say, hey, you know, Rick, that's probably a little light. Let's go a little heavier. Let's challenge yourself. Or Martin, you know, let's go lighter. So keep it simple. Yeah, so uh, keep it simple, keep it a bit shorter. And is that something you uh, tell coaches to actually practice, kind of dummy practice, uh, I mean, uh, on each other or, or so? Yeah, I mean, you guys are not coaching right now, correct? Like you guys are not going to the minimal, right? Mm. Uh, um, this is something you can be practicing at home. I would film yourself, put your camera up practice reading, you know, whatever the workout is, warm up, if there's accessory stuff, skill stuff, like you mentioned, practice, you're going to realize a, I'm talking too long or B I'm not talking enough. I'm not giving enough information. And you'll also realize, I'm sure there are words in, in you know, in all of your languages that like Americans, we call um, like safe words, like, um, uh, you realize you're doing that. So one of the, somebody asked me the other day, what's the, what's your best skill? You know, what's something you want to be known for? And I said, public speaking. And I don't think, I didn't, I never went to school for it. I had to do a lot of presentations in my life, but it's just from practice. And the number one thing I learned in that from filming myself was talk slower. So I think if you watch yourself, you'll pick up on those things and talking slower allows you to eliminate those words and sound exponentially more intelligent immediately. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a good takeaway. So yeah, speak slower. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely very good at those fillers and the like. Um, you see, <laughs> So move, moving on from the whiteboard and um, looking maybe before the whiteboard, what are the typical things that you see coaches doing right and coaches doing wrong before a workout begins or a, a class begins? Well, let's just talk about what should be done right and assume everything else is wrong. So for one, show up with a plan. 
If you're showing up to a box to coach and you don't have a piece of paper with a lesson plan written on it, that's your first mistake. That needs to be happening. Ideally, prior to that, you've actually hit this workout. It's not always possible. Maybe you're coaching the 5 a.m. class or the morning class or maybe it's your rest day. There, There are reasons where you might not have hit it, but maybe you've done it in the past. For example, I didn't hit Isabel today, but I had my reference already. So showing up with a lesson plan, ideally having done the work, I can't understand that comment. It's in German. Um, so, and then being there 15 minutes early, 15 minutes early. That's your time to, A, just get organized. For example, yesterday I coached and somebody had unplugged the TV. And if I wouldn't have shown up early and had a moment to figure out what was going on, we would have had no music the entire class. So little things like that, plus your members might get there early, you know, in, in normal times. And that's really where you're bonding with them. You're talking to them, you're fit, you know, they're going to bring up injuries, they're going to bring up, you know, their fears of the workout. So getting there early, having that lesson plan. And, and really, if you're doing those two things well, the rest will fall into place as the class progresses. Exactly. So can I answer that yep. question? Yeah, we can take it that. So the question is, uh, can you describe the intended stimulus of a workout? Uh, what's the most important information that you want to give to athletes? And uh, yeah, do you have an example of that? Uh, I, I guess you kind of did that with like Isabel. Um, but we say there's a more random workout on the board. Jens. Uh, is it Jens or Jens? I, I think Jens. Jens. Jens? Yes. What's give me a workout? Um, let's say uh, a classic workout, for example, um, Cindy. Cindy, okay. Becky, come so, on, Becky. We'll do both. Well, we'll do one. Let's do Cindy. Let's do. We'll do both. Actually, I like. I, this is like one of my favorite things. So you have a twenty-minute AMRAP, five, ten, fifteen. So first thing for either of those workouts, I mean, the beauty of both of those workouts is you have tons of references out there. Maybe you're new to CrossFit. Maybe some of you have never heard of those workouts. Google them and you'll see Jackie was actually at regionals five or six years ago. So now we know what the best times in the world are. So, and that's really where you want to begin. What, what are the best doing it? There's an expression, program for the best, scale for the rest. And sometimes I'll throw that out there. Now, the best is relative to your box. The best is not Matt Frazier unless Matt Frazier or Tia trains at your affiliate, right? If Tia is over there training, hey, this is what Tia gets. Your goal is to get program for the best at your box. So you might say, hey, in, uh, in regionals in 2015, the, the best athletes were around the six-minute mark. Now, in order to do that, here's what they did. They rode and they probably finished their row in about three and a half minutes, which meant they went unbroken on those thrusters, which took maybe – uh, 90 seconds to two minutes, and then immediately got on that bar and did 30 unbroken pull-ups. So what can you do to get as close to that? I don't expect you guys to be six minutes, but I'd like for us all to shoot for under eight minutes. That means you need to be able to get off the rower by 4, 4.15. If you're still rowing at that point, we might kick you off. And that's where you guys can decide that. The thrusters, no more than two sets. No more than two sets. So that might mean a lighter barbell. That might mean dumbbells if we need. That might mean you're not doing 50 reps. Same with the pull-ups. Ideally, this is one unbroken set. Your grip's going to be tired. You're going to be breathing heavy. So again, two, maybe three sets on the pull-ups. So you're kind of just setting those parameters. So I'd say for, for that, the first thing you want to do is kind of lay out the time. Hey, we should be about this time. That gets people thinking, okay, what do I need to do? Secondly, talking about how long each individual component of the workout should take and how many times they should break it, right? So you're going back to Cindy and we say, okay, it's a 20 minute AMRAP. The best in the world are getting 30 rounds. That means they're getting around every 40 seconds or so. I mean, that means everything is unbroken. So what do you have to do to achieve that? We have to scale the pull-ups appropriately. What else do we know about Cindy? What's the hardest part? The push-ups. Your push-ups are going to fade. So 
Maybe we do less. Maybe you purposely break in the beginning. But if your rounds are taking longer than a minute to a minute and a half in the beginning, we're going to scale something. The other thing I would do for both of those and for any workout is I like to do a wad buildup, I call it. And that might mean for Cindy, all right, guys, we're doing one round as fast as you can. You see those people that are taking three minutes on their first round. They're like, all right, let's scale that. For Jackie, I would probably do, all right, uh, we're going to do a 250 row, 15 thrusters, 10 pull-ups. See how long that takes. And that'll give you some ideas. Gives you the opportunity. You know, both of those workouts have very little weight in them other than an empty barbell. But that, those really help for like Isabel. We're like, all right, we're doing uh, five touch and go snatches. And then somebody's got 135 or 95 and they do one and then fail their second. All right, dude, we got to back off that weight, right? We got to drop the kilos. So doing those buildups helps also. And this is uh, one of the reasons why, I mean, something you, you've been talking about lately is this, you know, have, have one workout of the day that you're focusing on instead of having like this, uh, th three types of imams before you do the workout and you're doing back squat snatches and you're doing ring dips and then you're doing jackie at the end um so there you don't have any time to prep uh that kind of stimulus. you don't have time to prep plus your athletes you know there's an expression that if you're doing two workouts a day two of them are getting half-assed yep. do you understand half-assed in german yeah <laughs> Um, very, uh, very good. Um, uh, I think very good, uh, takeaways from that. And, um, looking at specifically now when, when we come to coaching and on, on the floor, um, what, what is this, a good coach supposed to do on the floor? Uh, when the class has started, the warm up has started, what is the coach supposed to do? Uh, there's a lot to do. I'd say the number one priority is keep everyone safe. That's, I don't like the expression number one priority because priority should mean it's your priority. So your priority there is to keep everyone safe. After that, it's making sure everybody is finding that balance of this is fun and I'm being challenged. And that's the art of coaching. You know, newer coaches come in and they don't, do as good a job of reading people as coaches, you know, it's all about understanding the people that you're, that you're working with and figuring out, okay, there are days where Michael needs to be pushed. And there are days where Michael comes in. I can just tell he's tired, man. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. Let, you know, we're doing Isabel. Let's go 95 and let's just go easy today. Right. So you, you, that's the, really the art of coaching is, is understanding that and, and, learning what people need and how you can best do that. I think when I first started CrossFit coaching, especially, but all coaching really, I mean, I definitely gave an 80 year old Rabdo in like 2000 at the Globo gym. because I gave him the exact work that I would do. It was like his first time there. And, you know, I, you, I was a teenager. I didn't know any better, but what I've learned with CrossFit is, you know, in 2007, it would be like, all right, you're here. We're going hard. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You know, and now it's like, Hey, how are you feeling today? And that's why that 15 minutes is important. Obviously some nights like last night, for example, I go back to back to back. So you don't always have that 15 minute buffer. So you have to get fast at it. You have to get fast at reading people and knowing people and, and, you know, just understanding and having, I think the probably the most important thing I've learned over the years is empathy, just having that empathy. Yeah. So I, I think you have a good uh, insight from from uh, well different viewpoints. I would say that you've been box owner yourself, so you have had coaches coach for you, and then now as you are working at a box uh, as a coach, um, so you have kind of the uh, the both sides of it. Like, how, how do I prepare as a coach? as not the box owner could this this might be something that happens that you're much more committed just because you're a box owner but uh, if you can show up there 15 minutes before and you are a coach you are showing empathy and you want to you know 
know what's behind the curtain today, so to say. Um, and specifically then, if we look at uh, things that the coaches can do now, because we are all in lockdown, um, the, the coaching is more limited maybe to screen or uh, for some people are doing more personal training maybe now. But um, what can we do as coaches to get better right now uh, you know, in our gyms, uh, like me as a coach, but maybe me as a box owner also, what can I uh, tell my coaches to do? I think there are probably two big things you can all do. One would be study as a coach, watch movements on YouTube, you know, w watch your classes over, see what you've missed. You can really develop as a coach the skills of teaching, seeing, and correcting outside of the box. You know, so for example, homework that I give often to people, especially at their level two is, all right, imagine any of the movements. Let's take the air squat. We know that there's five points of performance. There's heels, there's knees, there's depth, there's arch, meaning midline stabilization, and there's line of action. So those are the words I've used to remember. Heels, knees, depth, arch, line of action. You know, those are the five performance points of performance you want to see in a, in a sound air squat. So then you think to yourself, okay, well, let's think about each one individually that if they go wrong. So someone is squatting on their toes. So they're lacking heels, the weight in the heels. So now you would think to yourself, what's a verbal cue I can give to fix that? Because right now you're primarily giving verbal cues, I would assume, when you're coaching. But eventually you'll get back to the box. So what's a verbal cue? Uh, wiggle your toes. You might just say heels. You, you, you might say shift back. All of those are great. So now you have verbal cues. Now what's your uh, visual cue? Visual cue should always be this. Here's what you're doing. Demonstration. Here's what I want you to do. Demonstration. If you're talking at that point, you're not giving a visual cue. You're giving another verbal cue. Here's what you're doing. Here's what I want you to do. Pretty straightforward. You have to be good at demonstrating. You have to exaggerate the bad and you have to make sure your good is really good. Then you have tactile. So what's a tactile cue for that? Touching them it could be PVC, tapping their foot. I sometimes just walk up behind them and tap them on the heel with my foot. So now all of a sudden I've created five or six cues real quick off the top of my head to put into my little tool bag. That's just for one fault. Now knees, now depth, now arch, now line of action. Now we've done one movement. Now we've got to get the other eight foundational movements. Now we've got to get to the Olympic lift. So you should be, do you could be doing that right now. There's no reason not to be improving as a coach, whether it's lockdown or whether it's just you're outside of the box for the rest of the day. Secondly, what I would be doing as coaches and especially as box owners is connecting with your athletes. I don't truly know exactly what's going on or how much time you guys have, but if you're not doing anything, Schedule 10-minute calls with your members. If you're struggling, they're struggling. Yep. Connect with them. You know how much that will mean to them when things open again? And they're like, oh, man, you know, Michael reached out to me at least every week to see how I was doing. I'm going back. I can't wait to get back to the box. You know, Ricard, whoever, you know, and it doesn't have to, if you're a box owner and you have a staff of people and I don't know if your members are still paying, you can potentially pay your, your staff a little bit to handle, you know, 10 or 20 members and keep them engaged. But ideally then when you reopen, they're all ready to go again. So really two things, keep, continue that connection and study and improve as a coach. Yeah. So, uh, we have a question regarding like coaches and, um, what, what mistake do you see coaches do again and again? Um, when you visit other boxes? A ton, a lot of mistakes, Raul. Um, I would say one of my bigger pet peeves would be when coaches are teaching something, but they're not coaching. So for example, say we're doing the push press and you're gonna, you have this great progression planned out and you're like, I'm really excited. We're only doing push presses today. And I'm going to uh, drive it in and you're like, dip, stand, dip, stand. And you're walking around the room 
and you're doing it, but you're only ever saying dip stand and you're not actually providing feedback. For one, that's super boring. For two, your members are just moving poorly and they're, they're just uh, reinforcing poor movement because you're not fixing them. So I call that empty reps, minimizing empty reps. So making sure, and that, that goes back to what I just said, you can be practicing this. So we did the air squat. So if we do the push press and we say, okay, what do we want to see in the push press, the dip? I want to see a vertical torso. That's the number one thing. Now I have a very specific thing to look at as I walk around the room. That's all I'm looking at. I don't care what their knees are doing. I don't care what their heels are doing. I don't care about anything else. That's it. One lap. Now I might go through a second lap and say, okay, now this time I'm focusing on making sure their hips actually flex. You know, but if you, if you go back through those points of performance and you think about them, it helps direct your eyeballs. You can see more. I like to say your eyes are wider open. So you can really improve as a coach outside of there. So yeah. empty reps is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see. And then just lack of planning, lack of organization. You can tell immediately when a coach comes in, they've not even looked at the workout. Right? You can tell. It's, it's apparent immediately. You know, I've, I take classes where I coach. And there are days I watch the clock as the coaches. I'm like, we literally cannot end on time now. This is a 20 minute AMRAP. It's a quarter of like, we're going to run over like, no, you know, very easy stuff for the timeline is we're doing Cindy. I need to start by 30. That gives me 20 minutes plus a 10 minute buffer to cool down, wipe everything off. So at a minimum, having those checkpoints in your day, you know, so showing up unorganized and, and, and you know, really that goes back to the empty reps. Cause if you're planning, you're planning for those. If you have a, strong lesson plan. It's all right, I'm going to do 20 reps of the dip. Here's what I'm looking for. Here are what my corrections will be. Chest up, lean back, knees forward, whatever those are. Yeah. Um, but it comes, comes back a bit to what you said about when you give somebody feedback, you tell them what they're doing, what you want to see, and then you, you, you can't walk away from that either. You have to look that the person actually is doing it. And yeah. Then, so, you want, you know, you dip, hey, um, Ricard, I need you to lean back. Cool. Watch another rep. Better, worse, or the same. Hey, that was much better. Now I can move on. Uh, I don't, you know, that, that got worse. You have to think of another cue. That's why you need, you know, maybe I gave you a verbal cue and I need to step in front and say, hey, no, no, no. Here's what you're doing. Here's what I need. You know, so having that arsenal of different cues, because every athlete learns differently. Some learn better from hearing. Some learn better from seeing. Some learn better from being touched. So that's why it's important for what I was saying with that homework. You know, visual is one. You're going to have one, right? This is what you're doing. This is what I want. Tactile, you can have an unlimited amount, but you have probably some sort of threshold. There's only so many ways I can touch you to fix this. But verbal is literally unlimited. You're only limited by your creativity. Yeah. Um, we have a question here. Maybe you want to take it uh, right away. It's about Jens. A few years ago, integrating. Who was the person? Who, who was it? <laughs> oh, so it's about integrating. Um, in this, in this, this, uh, this question as a, a beast person joins the class, and how would you handle that? And um, yeah, some some people would say. Hey, you should you should integrate that person first with a personal training, and um, uh, here in the question is more emphasized: How can I actually get that person into class? Because uh, everyone should be able to join a class. And um, yeah, what's your thoughts thoughts about that? I mean, my first reaction is I agree. I think anyone should be able to hop into class, but that also is dependent on this individual and the, and the coach. So this is again, something where you have to really connect with the person. There, there are, I mean, obese can range, it can be just, you know, they're hundred pounds overweight, they're 300 pounds overweight. So depends on how much attention this person's going to take from you. But then at the same time, are they going to get more motivation, satisfaction, and enjoyment out of being in a class. Someone comes in and they're obese and maybe they were sent there. Maybe they Googled your box. 
there you have a short amount of time to capitalize on the fact that they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden you're like, hey, we're really glad you're here, but you know, we're gonna put some barriers up, i.e. You have to come at these times for training. You actually have to pay a lot more because we're working one-on-one with you. All of a sudden, you're you're limiting the potential of them sticking around. With that being said, you have to discuss with them how comfortable they are. If they're ready to go, let, I would say let them in. No different than, I mean, somebody that's injured. Hey, I have a broken arm. Come on in. We'll figure it out. And, you should uh, be able to figure this out. I mean... Maybe they're going to struggle to squat below parallel because they're obese. All right, we're going to squat to a box. We're going to squat to a ball. I think you have a good story about that. One of your best coaches uh, from, you know, all-time best coaches came up into your gym once in a time, also pretty overweight. And that was the most uh, beloved coach at the end. Yeah, Uh, and similar to this, I was at a seminar that weekend. And his brother, who I knew, sent him in. He was His brother didn't live in town, but he finally convinced his brother to come in. He was about 500 pounds. And I get a call while I'm at the seminar from one of my coaches. And he's like, hey, dude, we, this dude's here. We cannot take him. He's going to die. He's going to die. And he turned him away. And... His then his brother calls. He's like, I finally got my brother to come in, and your coach, you know, said he can. And I said, send him back on Monday. We'll we'll take care of him. And he he wound up coming to class, and he was five hundred plus pounds, and we figured it out. You know, he lost. He got down to about two hundred pounds. Started coaching, etc. Like like Ricard said, he you know, be, became a full time coach. He's still there, so. Yeah, you just have to work with it. But, so but that was turning them away is not going to help. Yeah, that was probably uh, 2008 or nine. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you, you never know what, what's going to happen in those uh, deals. Um, I, I'm just going to uh, go on, and then we're going to take the questions later on here. But um, we, we're going to talk a bit more about the, the box owners and uh, uh, especially... Uh, I want to ask you, Jason, what's the biggest mistake you've done as a box owner? Too many to answer, but probably early on letting people do their own programming. Rather than just saying, hey, here's the workout for the day. I, I let them, you know, and it was partially because of the layout of the gym. I had two separate areas. So it was easy for that to happen, but in retrospect, I would have I would have stopped it. I would have said, "This is our programming. This is all you do." You know, with some exceptions. Here's some auxiliary stuff. Here's I would have turned that into opportunity to program for people and, and charge for it versus doing whatever they wanted online. So that's probably the biggest mistake, and then doing too much rather than just focusing. And there were times where I'd have every type of specialty class on the schedule versus we do CrossFit. This is our focus. We might have a few other things, but that's 5% of what we do, not 50%. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's a common thing you see in many CrossFit gyms that you have. Uh, Pilates, yoga, CrossFit, uh, mobility, and uh, all these specialty classes. And <clears throat> I, I can recall you said something about every time you ramped up, a, for example, a mobility class, first class, you have 10 people, 20, 12 people there. Second class, it's six. Third one is two. And then <laughs> it's that. And, and not to mention, if you're going to do that, you should be getting paid for it. So if you're going to offer a mobility course, put a specific amount of time on it. Eight, this is eight weeks. It's every Thursday at 5 p.m. It's $120. And then you'll get commitment. But if you just put it on your schedule, you're, you're taking away time, effort, and energy from your coaching staff, uh, your floor hours, et cetera. You know, do the, do the one thing that you're 
really good at and that's coach crossfit classes and if you want to do some stuff on the side you know be more deliberate in what you want to accomplish with it and uh, right now you're i mean you're uh coaching a lot of box owners um and what what do you see as like a common pain point for many box owners uh i mean not just because of the situation of 2020 but Uh, commonly what you've seen now? I, I think the mistakes I make are super common. I think a lot of box owners make that mistake. I think the other thing that box owners specifically do is not even understanding what they sell. So you know, we, we had a recent post where we said, you know, what's special about your box other than community? And everyone thinks their community is special. It's not, you know, it's, Community is special in CrossFit, but every CrossFit affiliate has it. If your claim to fame, if you if somebody walks into your box and your big selling point is we have a great community, you don't know what you sell. Because A, every other box that they're checking out is saying the same exact thing. And they're checking out more than your box. B, they don't understand what that means. They've, if they've never been to a CrossFit before, Their only experience at a gym is a global gym, like community. I go to the elliptical and then I go home. What do you, who, I don't want people talking to me. Like that creepy dude in the corner, I avoid him. So they don't understand that when they go to a CrossFit gym, what community means. I'm sure all of you have experienced your best friends are from your box. Some of you maybe have met your significant other, you know, you or others have met, you've had relationships there. We get what community is. They don't get that. They don't understand that. I mean, I've probably had 20 people get married from my three affiliates. If I would have told them on day one, hey, you're going to meet your wife, your husband here. They'd be like, what are you talking about? This is a gym. So if you can't describe what you do that's unique and special without using the words community, coaching, and programming, you don't know what you do. Okay. Um, very good points there. Um, and what do you see from just in general from your experience now uh what have the, been like the best things that you you've seen also now because you've been traveling a lot visiting a lot of boxes so what what are the good boxes really doing i think the good boxes just create an experience every day where the members want to come back and you know and that goes back to the coaching and the programming aspect of it if You can have the best coaching or programming in the world. Programming is dumb. It doesn't matter. It, it, it truly doesn't. I mean, there's bad programming. Don't get me wrong. You could do it poorly. But if you're not being a complete, you know, idiot about it, you're fine. Do Jackie today, Isabel tomorrow, Cindy to the next day, you're fine. That's fine. You know, it's a lot of squats. Who cares? We squat every day. But if that's what your focus is and your members are not having a good time, doesn't matter how great your programming is, right? Somebody asked about level method. Cool. If you do level method, but you're a jerk to your members, doesn't matter that you have great programming. You have to really be connecting with your members, providing value every day. I like to say your members should be walking out the door thinking to themselves, that was terrible. I can't wait to come back. If you're not creating that vibe, that connection with them, the best programming goes unnoticed because the members aren't doing it right you want your members you want to get to the point with your members would be like hey take a rest day don't come in tomorrow take a day or come in but you're only allowed to stretch in the corner or use the sauna or whatever your recovery stuff is coaching is connecting with people now obviously you have to be able to fix an air squat like i said the priority is safety you could be your best friend and kill 18 members and all of a sudden you don't have a great box right so you have to keep it safe but with that balance of safety is keeping it fun and sometimes that means hey we're doing isabel i told you it take, should take six minutes you just took 15 minutes that's okay you didn't listen to me but you had a good time right so you have to find that balance of i know what you need but sometimes i'll give you what you want And, and uh, do you think that 
that was like the best thing you uh, did in the boxes. I know um, you were really into um, pushing yourself with, you know, a, a small thing that you were uh, talking about that you had the events at the box and you were sitting like 2 a.m. and doing the videos. They have to come up on video uh, on YouTube so that those three people can watch the the, the event we did yesterday. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, your 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 box was really thriving. Uh, that was Albany CrossFit, I guess. Um, but uh, what did you do otherwise that was like really good? You put in a lot of effort for sure, but was that really the thing that was good? Yeah, you mean you're you're right about what you're referring to. I would finish a party and stay up till two, three, four in the morning, putting the pictures online and. You know, in retrospect, was it necessary? Probably not. But I also can't say it wasn't what helped grow the gym. So I'm not upset that I did it. I might have, I might have waited till the next morning, you know, rather than staying up all night. You know, the other thing I learned is as a box owner and as a coach, you need to take care of yourself. So maybe getting, you know, eight hours of sleep instead of three after a party would have been the priority. Um, but it, yeah, creating that community, I think, I've said it before. I don't believe I'm a phenomenal coach from a seeing and correcting perspective. I've gotten pretty good at it, but there's probably a handful of you on here that are better than me at it. But again, it doesn't matter how good you are at that if your members don't want to come in and be around you. So I think, and it wasn't that way in 2007. Like I said, in 2007, it was meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. You know, keep intake to levels that support exercise, not body fat. If you're not willing to do that, don't come here. Then you're like, okay, not everybody wants to do that. At the time, I was lucky because there was no place for them to go. They can go back to the Globo gym, but there's no other CrossFit affiliate. You do that today, they're going to be like, hey, the box over there is much nicer, and I can eat donuts, so I'm going to go over there. So finding that you know balance of, again, because you need to create that relationship, going back to his name's Murph, the guy that lost all that weight. The very first thing we did was you know, months into his journey was ask him to go from regular soda to diet soda. That was months later. At first, we didn't talk nutrition. And then it was, hey, Mountain Dew, diet Mountain Dew. And that might be like, well, that's not healthy either. It's not. But it's better than Mountain Dew. Then it was water. Then it was bacon. Right then, it was all these other steps, but you have to meet people where they are. And we, I would have scared him right away if day one he walked in, and I would have said, "Paleo zone, dude." He had been right out the door. Yeah, um, yeah. Good question here. Um, how do you deal with a group of toxic members who say they are the community, but then they exclude everyone else and create a bad atmosphere for the rest of the group? Do you own your box, row? Do you yeah. own the box? Kick them out. I kick them right out. That's what I did. <laughs> oh, easy day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not truthfully, I would have a conversation first. You know, here's the deal, Boris. You're an asshole. You're you're. You think you have a community? You know, I. If you really want to, I use a method called the whole message model. I see, I think, I feel, I want. Hey, Boris, I see this. You, Jessica, Florian, Jasmine, all come in at five o'clock. I see black and white, no debating it. Boom, you're here. You can't argue with me. I see you're doing your own programming. I think you believe you need this programming. You need more than what we're doing in class, uh, et cetera. That's what you think. I feel your true emotion. As a box owner, I feel upset because it's hurting the community. It's causing me stress. It's causing me to do more work. I clean up after you. I want you to stop. You come to class or you don't come here. So you don't have to kick them out day one. Chances are you probably had a conversation with them prior to kicking them out, Raul. So But I always, I try my best in sticky, stressful conversations. I see, I think, I feel, I want so, to, to have that conversation. Just remember, those words are reflections on exactly what it is. I see, 
it has to be black and white because if you're going to accuse somebody of it, which you're kind of doing, it has to be very non non argumentative. Like I use this, like, hey, your significant other, like, I see the dishes in the sink. I'm not making this up. Go over there. They're in the sink, right? Or your coach. I I see the garbage laying out. Like it has to be evident. So let, let's open up the last couple of minutes here with uh, shooting some Q and A's. Um, people, please uh, um, bomb the chat a bit with their questions. We have one here with from Javier. He, um, I, I'm going to try to understand this question, but how do you deal with athletes who want to com compete and they're seeing the uh, volume or the yeah the volume that the, the competitive CrossFitters are doing? Kind of, I guess that's a yeah. No, so you're basically saying they think volume is the key to getting better. Javier, where's Javier? Is he, is he the box owner? Are you the box owner, Javier? No, I'm I'm the head coach. Head coach, so you probably have some pull at the box, yeah. similar to Raul, because like I said, that was when Ricard asked, that was probably my biggest mistake. Um, and it's very similar to what Raul is mentioning. Have that conversation, uh, a very easy way to just, so I always, I'm not afraid to tell people that they're not good. You have to be able to tell them that. And I, I have an easy reference because I'm five foot three and 42 years old and 140 pounds. And at most boxes, I'm fairly competitive. I'm not great, but I can be in the top five of any given workout on any given day. And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm 42 and 5'3", and this is all I do, and I just smashed you in that workout. You're not very good. Don't do more. Just enjoy fitness. Now, maybe they, aren't, they are better than you and they are good. Just have that real conversation with them. Like, what's your true goal with this? You know, are you, look, you're not going to the games as the German representative or whatever country you're in, you know? So do you want to just have some fun? Like, and a lot of people, I think, just don't have any other hobbies. Like, hey, go grab a book. Go spend some time with your wife or your kids or your dog. Like, there's more to life than fitness. But people get involved in CrossFit to help their life. And then CrossFit becomes their whole life instead of using it as a tool to just be a better human being. And if, it, and if that doesn't resonate with them, send them elsewhere. Hey, there's a box down the road that does more than us. Go there. I, I, have, a, um, I have a couple of questions to you too. Um, uh, do you consider yourself a, uh, a coachable or uncoachable athlete? <laughs> Depends if you ask who you ask, I suppose. Um, I, I do think I'm coachable. And I think part of it is, I understand I'm not great. I go to classes and I listen to the coach and truly try to do what they tell me to do. You know, there the only times that I don't is I probably go too heavy on the strength. You know, there's days where it's like, hey, keep it moderate, you know, and I'm failing my five rep back. So, but I'll listen to the cues. I, I, I heard something about like your, your triples and in, in power clean, it always ends at one. Well, yeah, recently <laughs> we had tests of like threes and fives and I was, never getting all of the reps, but my, my argument was I already knew what that number, you know, so we already had a three rep. So I was like, I need to beat it. There's no sense in hitting it again. So I wound up PRing, but for like a two rep versus a three rep. All right. Um, yeah, we have another question here. How do you, how much value do you see in writing down times, scores after workout? Um, most people in my box, it's Ben's box, uh, are non-competitive and uh, they don't really care about the scores. I, I guess that the, like I, I would yeah, say I nat naturally like, well, it doesn't really matter that much. I can see from his point of view like that. Well, I want to kind of keep track on it so I can see the development maybe. Um, yeah, it matters. It matters for two reasons. It, it matters because you have to assess your own programming depending on what you're doing. So you have to make sure you're actually programming well. But it, it does matter for them even if they don't realize it because in three months if they're like, ah, I'm not sure if I like this. Here's where you say, hey, you know, you went from a 135 back squat to 225. You know, where you can show them hard data. So I that you have to teach them why that is important. 
Yeah. So even though if they're not competitive, there is uh, still uh, a use for that. And especially, uh, as you say, it, it comes down to a, uh, maybe an athlete saying, hey, I want to quit. And because I don't see any progress, then you actually have some facts you can present on the table. Yeah. And and if you show that to them in advance, you know, th that's one of the exceptions where you have to you know, give them what they need versus want. But again, you know, for most of these questions, I'm happy to answer them. It's communication. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned over the years. It's most people aren't assholes. There are some, but they just don't know any better. And that's your job to teach them. I've also learned most people are either lazy, dumb, or both. And you have to navigate that. Yeah, yeah that could just be laziness. I don't feel like typing it in. Well, here's why it's important. Yeah, but that's so your job. We're like we're all, and then for in fairness, we're all the same in different aspects of our life. I'm terrible at building stuff. That's why I hire somebody, and they probably look at me like, "Really? You need me to hang up this picture?" Well, I'm dumb at that. This guy's dumb at fitness. It's okay. Yeah. That's why we have jobs. We we have. Uh, I would say we have the two last questions because you need to go now. In a second. Um, it comes down to how you handle a, a, a class or uh, someone who is bitching around in class about the program and says like, oh, back squats again or whatever. And uh, yeah, do you talk to that person straight into class in the class or do you d do it afterwards or how would you handle that? Johnny, if it's happening regularly, first thing you do is have a conversation outside of class. If it, I, that should nip it. If it's still happening, you know, I default to what I've said to Raul and other people. If it's truly disrupting class or causing tension or even just causing you stress, get rid of them. If you're not the box owner, have that conversation with the box owner. But again, I see, I think, I feel, I want. Hey, red hair, I see you complained. Like, it has to be obvious. Here's what you said. Uh, you know, I think, I feel, I want. And if they're not willing, if they're still doing that, they're just not a nice person. Get rid of them. I think if you're going to own, run, coach at a box, you have to realize there are people that you don't want to be around. Your box has to be fun for you. You wouldn't hang out with this person. Ideally, if you wouldn't hang out with this person outside of the box, they shouldn't be a member of your box. That's not always going to be true. There are some people that are just quiet. They might not be your best friend, but they're also not disruptive. If someone's not fun for you, they're probably not fun for anyone else at your box either. No one wants to hear bitching and moaning from this redheaded person. And it's, it, it causes other people to think maybe this isn't a good workout. Maybe I should question the programming. Is the 150 euros, whatever you guys charge, worth it for one person? Um, do you have time for the last question? One, yeah, what would one... be a best tip you'd give someone who's about to open a box? Take care of yourself first. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to do a good job in any box. Get your sleep. Make sure you work out. Make sure you eat right. Put it in your calendar. It's not negotiable. If the workout is in your calendar, no, I'm not putting a PT there. No, I'm not putting a class there. This is my workout time. If I don't take care of myself first, nothing else matters. Bless you. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Jason. I know you have another appointment coming up here now. So, um, yeah, we're ha very happy for your um, yeah joining this uh, discussion. And maybe we see each other uh, soon. I'm going to just type my email. If anybody, is that cool? Yeah, sure. There's my email. If you guys have more questions, I'm always happy to chat, happy to answer anything you guys have. Um, I do have to hop on another call. But thank you for having me in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, any other countries I missed? Yugoslavia, Netherlands, Czechoslovakia. What's that? Netherlands? Switzerland, Switzerland Netherlands. Austria, and Germany. These are the cool. four. Well, I truly hope in short time everything passes and you guys can reopen and get back to what you guys do best and what you love and like i said 
You could do a lot while you're closed. It probably seems like you're handcuffed and you can't do a whole lot, but you can still have a pretty tremendous impact on your members and you can still improve as a coach while you're not home. Even when it's you know tough to get those the motivation going. You know, remember why you enjoy doing this and that at some point this is going to be gone. So best of luck. Thank you for having me. Can everyone now unmute please please himself? Everyone, please. Rickett, you can just ask them. Yeah, please unmute everyone. And then just, just give them give them an applause for us. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at Best Hour of Their Day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.